If you are unable to do it, the person at your right hand is able to do it because they're close enough to you. The resources that are available to you or to the person who, at whose right hand you are, their resources are your resources. So David says, in God's presence there's fullness of joy. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. In chapters in, in Psalm 16 and then in Psalm 24, he asks the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? And maybe it's a, a question that we don't usually ask because we usually assume the answer. But I want to ask it. Who wants to get close to God? That's what David's asking us. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? He's asking, who wants to get close to God? So I want to ask that question. Who wants to get close to God? Who wants to get close to God? Because David asks that question. And then he gives the answer. He says, whoever, in verse 4, whoever has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So you may remember, words don't speak as loud as actions. Actions speak louder than words, but there's something that speaks louder than an action, which is an attitude. The attitude speaks louder than the action because the action might not necessarily be in keeping with the attitude. So Romans 10 verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, a confession with the mouth, if there's not a belief in the heart, is not sufficient for salvation. That's why it's for God to decide. We don't know when people speak whether they're speaking what's in their heart. Which is why Jesus says to us, by somebody's fruit you will know them. The attitude will determine the fruit. But fruit takes a while. So an action, if we look at this tree, I don't even know which tree it is. But we can't look at it for a moment and know whether it will be fruitful. We'd have to look at it over time. So this is why David says, whoever has clean hands, in other words, what we do with our hands, but also whoever has a pure heart. Jesus took this theme up in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In other words, they will get close to God, those who are pure in heart. It's not our actions in and of themselves, but the attitude that causes those actions. We need both to tie together. James says, faith without works is dead. If we have an attitude, the actions will follow. It's impossible to have the attitude without the action. But it is possible to have the action without the attitude.
So the sermon is called Fullness of Giving. A fullness in God's presence, a fullness of joy, but a fullness of the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So how we steward is important to God because it belongs to him. Every person we steward is important to God because they belong to him. The children who are being taught now are important because they belong to God, not to their parents. Each one of us in this room is important because we belong to God. That's what stewardship means. What we do is important, what we do with our hands, our actions, and what we think. Why we do those things, our attitudes, are also important. So David says, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Whoever has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. And then the next question is this, what will happen when we get close to God? What happens when we get close to God? And the answer is given in verse 5. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. God is a giver. God is a giver. If you get close to somebody, you find out what they're really like. If you really want to find out what the deans are like, you have to come and live with us. Because you have to get close enough to find out what actually goes on. Not just on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, but what goes on through the week. And when we get close to God, what we learn about him is that he is a giver. God is a giver. God loves to give because he's a giver. So God the Father is a giver. And hence we have the seven gifts of the Father that Paul writes for us in Romans 12. Teaching, prophesying, encouraging or exhorting. Mercy, serving, giving, leading. Every person has one of those gifts. If you want to deepen your relationship or start a relationship with somebody and you're finding it difficult, it's a good question to ask. What gift has God the Father given to this person? Because everybody, whether they're saved or not, has one of those gifts. Teaching, prophesying, encouraging, mercy, giving, serving, or leading. Everybody is gifted. It's not just a few who are gifted, but everybody in the world has at least one of those gifts. That's how I read Romans 12. To each one. So if it's, a, if it's a family member who you're not getting on with or you're clashing with, a colleague with whom there's strife, or a neighbor and something's happened and you've fallen out, you've not spoken since their dog bit your cat. And you're thinking, what can break this? Think, what gift has God the Father given this person? And we're not giving anything. 
we're just making ourselves aware and then in time making the other person aware of the gift that God has given them. Fathers give differently. It's up to the giver what he gives. It's up to the giver to whom he gives. But I know that fathers love to give. We might give Sally and I differently to the children, but we want to give to all of them. And we will give and do give and have given to all of them. God is a giver. If we spend enough time with him, that's what we'll learn about him, that he's a giver. Holy Spirit is also a giver. And we learned this in Encounter 1 recently, that anybody who's saved can have access not only to the person of Holy Spirit, but also to his gifts. Nine gifts that are recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 12. Gifts to know and gifts to say and gifts to do. Word of knowledge or word of wisdom or discernment of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy, gifts to speak, gifts to say, and the gifts to do, gifts of faith. Faith is about doing. That's what the gift of faith is. The gift of faith is given so that somebody can do. The gift of miracles is given so that those miracles can be done. The gifts of healing are given so that people can be healed. God is a giver. God is a healer. God is a miracle worker. And if you don't operate in those gifts, then you need to question, are you in a relationship with Holy Spirit? But if the answer to that question is yes, then ask him, tell you which of those gifts he's given you. Because a gift that's unused is no good. It's no good to the recipient and it's no good to the donor. If we reject the gift, then we reject the giver. God is a giver. He's a giver who wants a return on his gifts. Not selfishly. But God is a God of increase, not of decrease. So when God gives, he expects us to steward. That's why in the parable of the talents, the one who didn't increase what he had. And if you think about inflation, then the gift actually decreased. Hidden in the ground was worth less later on. God gives gifts and he expects those gifts to be used. And then there's the gifts of the Son in Ephesians chapter 4 that are given so that leaders can equip saints. Again, it's about multiplication. Gifts given to leaders, prophet, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, so that the, gift, so that the saints can be equipped for the work of the ministry. God is a giver. Everything that we have is given by God. The clothes that we have are given by God. The house or room that we have is given by God. The bicycle or the car, the chicken or the cow, everything that we have 
is given by God. He's a giver. And then we read, just in verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. It's not something that we do alone. That's why our corporate giving, and today we're saving the offering until the end, because it's, at least today, going to be the culmination of our worship. And it happens at different stages in the service. Some people have already given at the beginning of the month. But it's good even if we gave at the beginning of the month to remind ourselves now towards the end of the month that everything we have is from God. A fullness of giving. And you might ask this. If I need a pure heart in order to get close to God... How do I get that pure heart? How do I get a heart that is pure? I don't have the scripture on the screen, but I preached on this before Malawi. But our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. His heart was pure. And the purity of his heart was evidenced by the generosity of his giving. He made himself nothing. In other words... Jesus gave up everything. And if my attitude is to be the same as that in Christ Jesus, then it might not necessarily mean that I give up everything, but it means that I have to be prepared to give up everything. Tithing is somewhere that not all churches want to go because it presses buttons. But I'm glad that we're in a church that does go there. But we don't stop at tithing. Tithing is just the first part. Tithing is where we start. It should be that we never give God anything less than that. But it's not where we stop. And some people say that that's the law and the Old Testament. And that's true. Although tithing came before the law, who was the first person to tithe? Abraham, and through whom did the law come? Moses. And who came first? Abraham predated Moses. So tithing is not something that was limited to the law. It started before the law, and it went on beyond. And we know that grace is always a higher standard than the law. So if Under the law, to be guilty of murder, somebody has to murder. The standard that we now have in the New Testament is if we hate, we're guilty of murder. It's a higher standard. If, under the law, to be guilty of adultery, we had to commit adultery. If a man looks lustfully upon a woman, under grace, that person is guilty of adultery. It's a higher standard. So we are no longer under the law, but if tithing is there, and it is, but was there before the law, any giving that we now give in the new covenant will be at a higher standard. The requirements upon us, the attitude, the 
people in the Old Testament couldn't be told your attitude should be same as that of Christ Jesus because they didn't know what his attitude was. But we do, because we have gospel accounts. We know what his attitude was. That's why Paul can say to us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So I want to ask this, why is it hard for us to give up or give away? Why is it hard? God's a giver. He makes us in his image. He gives to us, and that's sometimes where it stops, because our hands are clenched a bit too tightly. Why is it hard for us to give up or to give away? What I learned about tithing is this. Some people don't know about it, which is one of the reasons why we need to teach it. And other people know about it, but they've never done it, because it hasn't perhaps been made practical for them. Again, we need to make it practical. And then some people tithe, but have stopped tithing, or have tithed, but stopped. And then there are others who'll tithe no matter what. This isn't about trying to encourage us to give more because we need more, because we need to do certain things. We need to go to Malawi more often. We need to help the people there. We need to do more things here. This is about understanding God's heart as a giver. And that's why I think some of us as preachers find it hard to talk about giving, to preach on tithing. But we're going to ignore a lot of the Bible as preachers if we don't talk about this. It's about understanding God's heart. And that's the biggest thing to say in our giving. We're going to have an opportunity to give. It's not the action. It's not how many zeros are at the end. It's the attitude. And hence, the widow gave more than the others. It wasn't how much she gave, it was the attitude in which she did that giving. But what is it? Why is it hard for us to give? Why is it hard for us to give up? Why is it hard for us to give away? We need certain things. God knows we need certain things because Jesus lived on earth. Everything that we need, he needed. Food and clothing and shelter, he needed. If I'm aware that I'm a steward and not an owner, I believe that should make it easier for us to give. An awareness that I'm a steward and not an owner should make it easier for me to give. Nothing belongs to me, the house or the bike or the money or the spouse or the child or my destiny or my purpose. It doesn't belong to me, it's not mine. And if I have an awareness that nothing is mine, then why would I be one to hold tightly? Because it's not mine. It's passing through. Now I know that not all of us play team sports and not all of us play rugby. But it's very hard to defend against a quick pass in rugby or a one-two in football. In football, a one-two, you give the ball to one person, that person gives it back to you, but you're in a different place. And in the meantime, you've taken your opponent out of the picture. If we have a freedom in our giving, if we have a flexibility in our fingers, 
that when God gives to us, I'm very happy to give it on. And if that freedom is such that we, we don't have to think about it, God, you've given me this, and now I can do X, Y, and Z. Before we think, now I'll open my hands to give it. If we have an awareness that God has so much, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the fullness of it, then anything that God gives me, if I pass on, he'll give me again. He's not short. He doesn't change in his desire to give, and he doesn't change in his ability to give. Knowing that I'm a steward will make it easy for me to give up and give away. Holding on loosely, holding without keeping my fingers tightly flexed, extending the fingers, extending the kingdom. As we receive from God, we need to extend our fingers. God's a God of increase, not of decrease. His kingdom is increasing, not decreasing. His Everything about him is growing. He's a growing God. John 15 talks about the father as the gardener. Gardeners grow. From a seed comes fruit. And from that fruit we can eat and then again use the seed. want to go to Galatians 6 before we look at an example of David's giving. There's two kinds of givers, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 6. I'm just going to read verses 7 to 10. But listen out as we read together for these two kinds of givers. Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verses 9 and 10. And let us not become weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's two kinds of givers. We're going to have an opportunity to give. We can give either as one who gives to please his sinful nature, or we can give as one who sows. But sowing is giving. If I sow something, it's no longer in my hand. We can sow... As to the Spirit. So God knows which one of those we are. So we need to sort out our actions, but more important than our actions is our attitude. Why am I giving? Am I giving to please my sinful nature? Am I giving so that I can get back? Am I scratching so that I can be scratched? Am I trying to please my sinful nature? Or am I giving? Am I sowing? the spirit and the way in which I sow will determine how I reap the way in which I sow will determine how I reap 
So that's the theory that David gives in Psalm 24. But what did he actually do in practice? Turn, if you will, it's just one chapter on from where Charlotte read earlier. She read from 1 Chronicles 28, when David was charging his son Solomon. And then 1 Chronicles 29 ends with the death of David. So these two chapters, I believe, are quite significant. He had to find somebody to whom he could delegate. Somebody who would continue his legacy. And that was his son Solomon. Someone who would actually build the temple. Because that wasn't for David to do. That's 1 Chronicles 28. And then in 1 Chronicles 29, we read this. This is David who wrote Psalm 24, who said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Who said, Who can get close to God? Whoever has clean hands and a pure heart. Then this some of the actions and attitudes of that David he's writing he's speaking to the whole assembly he's saying that Solomon is young and inexperienced the work is great so I've provided, provided he says as far as I was able the gold, the silver, the bronze the iron, the wood and then lots of different stones and then in verse 3 he says moreover So he's already given a lot. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and then all the stones. In addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. So you might think, David, are you confused? You're the one who said that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But David knew what was his to steward and what was not his to steward. So he knows that this treasure is somehow his to choose in a way that the other is not. In addition to all that, the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron and the wood, in addition to all that, I have provided for the holy house. I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. And then he lists what he gives. 3,000 talents of gold. And I've left that bit out because it's not really important what he gave. Just know that it's a lot. And in terms of the fullness of giving, imagine if you can give something that keeps on giving. That's the kind of gift to give. So, we all have parents and we all have grandparents. And those grandparents gave genes to those parents and those parents gave genes to us. And some of us are in the process of passing those genes on to others. A gift that keeps on giving. A gift that keeps on giving is one that multiplied, is one, is one that multiplies, is one that's full. So David gave. And he wasn't shy about his giving. We're told in scripture to be shy, or rather, to be discreet about that which we give to the poor. We're not told to keep quiet about our giving to God. Now God knows why we give. And if I'm giving to please my sinful nature, if I'm giving so that others will see me as a giver, if I give so that others see me as a giver, God sees that. God knows the heart. He knows my actions as well as my act. He knows my attitudes as well as my actions. But David gave, and then we read in verse six. Back to the previous slide. Then the leaders 
of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. So David gave, and then the leaders gave, and then we read in verse 8. Whoever, so not just David as the king, not just the leaders, those over thousands and hundreds, but anyone, whoever had precious stones, gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. If I want to give something that's going to keep on giving, then I need to sow according to the Spirit. If I give according to my sinful nature, Yanko asked us this question early on in the, in the summer, or back in the summer. Can you think of a sin that's not selfish? And some of us tried, but we couldn't manage. Selfishness is sinful, and it causes a decrease. If I'm selfish, I hold on to it, and I can't do much with it. And it's interesting, those of us that have had siblings and those of us that have children will know how there's sometimes a, a deep sense of justice and fairness that what's given to somebody else should also be given to me. But giving is at the discretion of the giver. If my father wants to give two bikes to me, and three to my brother. Or if my father wants to give a certain amount of money to one of my siblings and half of that to me, is it anything to do with me? It's nothing to do with me. Giving is the prerogative of the giver. But yet we have this comparison, this sense of what's given to him should also be given to me. It's selfish. Giving is something that we've all received because God is a giver. He's the father of everyone. And he gives gifts. He gives gifts to everyone. Whether people are saved or not, whether people follow Jesus or not, they have gifts from God. Gifts within them. As I said earlier, teaching or prophesying or encouraging or serving or showing mercy or giving or leading. God gives those gifts. And it's up to him to whom he gives and to what extent he gives but if I want to be somebody who continues that giving then I need to hold on loosely to what God gives so God gives me a gift what will I do with the gift that God has given me if I'm a teacher how will I use my gift to teach if I'm a leader how will I lead if I'm somebody who encourages how will I encourage if I'm somebody who gives how will I give now we're all givers that we learned in the summer of how different ones of us have that gift of the Father, the gift of giving. How will I give? How do I serve? How do I show mercy? And Paul gives us instruction just how to do that. So David gave as the king, then the leaders of thousands gave, and the leaders of hundreds gave, and then the people gave. And it caused much joy. Remember David wrote, not just Psalm 24, but also Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures 
forever. We can give in such a way that it causes rejoicing. If I give according to, if I give, if I sow, give to please the Spirit, it will cause rejoicing in others. I don't know if you ever received a gift, which when you tell other people about that gift, it causes them to rejoice as well. Those are the kinds of gifts I want to give. And the kinds of gifts that I want to receive are not the gifts where I hold on to it for myself. David gave, the leaders of thousands gave, the leaders of hundreds gave, then all the people gave. And so it came back that the people rejoiced and David the king also rejoiced greatly. How do numbers add up? And they add up according to... I, the last time I mentioned this in the sermon, no one had a reference, but we were taught at school about base 10. And there's different bases that we can count with. But I believe there's something about a tenth. And I don't want to know, because I don't know what your employers pay you, those of you who have an employer. This is just between the person and God. But what I know from the time as a teenager I first had a pay packet and got cash in that pay packet is a tenth is pretty much the threshold of noticing. Once a tenth goes, then I begin to notice it. Five percent, it's no big deal. So on Thursday, our children went to greet our neighbor who's 97. And they did take her something, but they came back with, with more because she gave money to them. So not all of them went. But one pound is enough to go to Poundland or the 99p shop. But it's not if you have to give away a tenth of that pound. Then I have only 90 pence. And it's, it's good for, for me to know that someone as young as five or even less can learn that lesson. That not everything is mine. But why does God ask us to give a tithe? If God owns everything in the world, why does it matter? Because he wants to be acknowledged as the giver. He wants to be acknowledged as the giver. Yes, we have rent to pay here. Yes, there's <coughs> things that we can and can't do. We can't go to Malawi if we don't have the money to fly there. But our giving to God is not about that. Our giving to God is more a heart issue. Hence, the actions are not as important. The actions are not as important as the attitudes. It's the attitude that's important. Just let me read one thing, just about this tenth principle. It's from Numbers chapter 18. And then we'll have an opportunity to give. And I always say this, but I say it because it's true. Guests are not obliged to give. It's something that we do because it's what we do as a family. It's part of what we do together. And guests are not expected to give. But listen to this in Numbers 18. It's the duties of the priests and the Levites. (coughs) We said earlier that the law was given to Moses. Numbers 18. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites... The Levites were those who um, tended to the priests in the temple. So the priests represented God to the people and the people to God. And then the Levites were those who did many of the 
the tasks, the menial tasks around it, the associated with them. When you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I've given you from them for your inheritance, that's how they lived. They didn't work the land, they lived off the tithe. When we were in Malawi last week, there were two baskets that were brought to the front. And we, we've got two here today. But we don't make this same separation. They had one for tithes, and they had one for offerings. And some of the churches have one basket for money and another basket for rice. Because there are people on the breadline there. Some of the pastors are on the breadline. So one of the things that we did, not just teach them Bible, but they had some farming instruction as well, so that they can support their families, even if the congregation is unable to do so. So that's what the Levites did. The Levites didn't work the land, but they would live off the tenth that the people brought to them. So God said to Moses, say to the Levites, when you, the Levites, take from the people of Israel the tithe, the tenth that I've given you, God said it, it was in the law, from your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord. A tithe of the tithe. What's one-tenth of one-tenth? One percent. But listen to this, verse 27. And your contribution shall be counted to you as though it were the grain of the threshing, threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. Do you see the power of a tithe? A tenth of a tenth we would think of as one percent. But God counts a tenth of a tenth as a hundred percent. As the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is God's. If we can tithe and teach others to tithe, it's not a decrease but an increase. God is never about decrease. He's always about increase. Giving is personal. And those of you who give in envelopes, we're grateful that you do because it means that we can reclaim the tax, which gives us 20-something percent. But this isn't about the 20-something percent that we can claim back from the government because we're a charity and we've got certain objectives and we use the money and show that we use the money for that purpose. This is about an understanding that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Whatever I own, whoever I'm responsible for, I'm a steward and I'm not an owner. And there's opportunity now just to give as part of our worship. It's as much our worship, what we put in these envelopes, as the songs that we sing. It's part of what we give to God, to acknowledge him as the giver. A fullness of giving is a giving that doesn't hold tightly to what I receive, but passes it on. A fullness of giving is a giving where if I can tithe and teach others to tithe, if we can tithe as a church and give away from the tithes that you give, I believe that God says, according to Numbers 18. It's not a decrease. A 
tenth of a tenth doesn't become one percent. But God says he considers it as the fullness. God owns everything. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't lack this morning. Don't give to him if you're thinking that giving to him can add to him. But if you want to acknowledge him as the giver, then you're going to have opportunity to do that. And if you want to, you can even do what they did in Malawi last week, which was they dance to the front as they gave their gifts. Now, I don't expect you to because it's not our culture. But that's what they did. No music. But Ed says he can play. It's between you and God. Their giving is something which they rejoiced over greatly. And they have so little. They fed us rice and meat after the morning service. But there wasn't enough for them all to have rice and meat. They had maize, our hosts, while they honoured us as guests with rice and meat. And sometimes those of us that are a bit better off find it harder to grasp God's heart. Why? Because we get to a certain amount of stuff and then begin to think we own it. We don't. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I don't own it. I'm a steward. And I pray that as we give now, we'll just have an understanding of God's goodness, of the fullness of God, of his heart to give. And then this is just our response to that. If you want to take an envelope and place your tithe or your offering inside, then you're welcome to do so. If you have already done so, then God knows that. And if you're here as a guest, then please do not be expected. You're not expected, so do not be obliged to give. everything and everyone we have comes from you. Father, I want to thank you this morning for our natural parents who gave us so much. The life that we live and the genes through the expression of which we live them. For every meal they fed us, Father, I thank you also for spiritual parents, those who went ahead of us and who denied themselves in order for us to be able to receive so much. But thank you that you see, that you know those who've sacrificed. And God, we acknowledge, Lord Jesus, that you sacrifice more than anyone because you are of the fullness of God, that you are God in your very nature and you gave it all up. 
you made yourself nothing. But Jesus, I thank you for your life lived as an example of giving and of self-sacrifice. We honor you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you didn't hold tightly to your divinity. That though your relationship with your Father defined you and determined your life, you were willing to give that up for our sakes. Jesus, we honor you for that. And we give in response. We give, God, to you because you are good to us and you've given us so much. And we acknowledge you as the giver with these gifts. Thank you, God, for the privilege of giving. Thank you for the honor of giving. Thank you for the invitation that you give us to give. Thank you that you do not want us to give under compulsion. God, I thank you that you examine the hearts of each one of us. That you don't look at the outward appearance, but you look upon our hearts. And God, thank you that you see the hearts of your people this morning. Thank you that worship in spirit and in truth pleases you. So God, those who've given truthfully, those who've given spiritually, thank you. That that's the worship you desire. God, we thank you for accepting our worship as we give these tithes and these offerings. Thank you for accepting the arms that we give to those who have much less than we do. And God, thank you that you give wisdom to those appointed to steward these. Thank you, God, that you increase and do not decrease. Thank you, God, that you multiply that which we have given. the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your heart towards us. Thank you God that we know you as our Father, that we know you as the one who not only desires to give to us but is able. And we thank you for that which you have given and that which you will give. We declare our dependence upon you and our gratitude. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to keep going with the stewardship series. There's one more series before the end of the year. Next week, um, we're going to have a healing service with called Derek Puffett who's from LL for those of you who know LL if, if you have a need of healing then you don't need to wait till next week if you're here this week then we've got oil with which we can invite you but if you know someone who will accept an invitation to church if it's a healing service and perhaps they wouldn't at any other time then 
Please invite them next week at 10 o'clock. But as I say, you don't need to wait until then. And if you have a need for prayer, then please come to the front. And there will be different ones of us here, willing and, and able to pray for you. Thank you for your time and attention. Thanks again. I said this.